This is Covered Calls with Kevin Simpson, featuring expert insights and analysis from the industry's top investment professionals. If you'd like a deeper understanding of today's markets, this is the show for you. Welcome to Covered Calls with Kevin Simpson. I'm your host, Kevin Simpson. And today we have my very, very good friend, Mr. Tim Seymour. Tim, many of you will recognize from CNBC Fast Money. He's also the CIO, Chief Investment Officer of Seymour Asset Management. And for those of you who don't know, uh, both Tim and I work on the Amplify International Equity Income ETF, symbol IDVO, which I know we'll get to talk to. But before we do, Tim, I thought maybe we'd chat a little bit about your Mets. And um, Yeah, we should. We have to. You know, there's, there's a lot of expressions and cliches and phrases people use. Let's just go to... You know, the biggest one, which is the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room. You're a Phillies fan. I'm a Mets fan. Uh, we both love baseball, which actually says a lot about both of us. So uh, a big pat on the back there, because most people don't understand our great American pastime. And we're we're um, we're, we're a couple guys that do. We love it. Um, what can I say? You know, you guys you guys uh, took two out of three and 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 the better team won the weekend series. Um we're having trouble playing fundamental baseball. In fact, I think uh, Lupus and Tanner and the Bad News Bears could probably beat the Mets right now. Well, a few things. First of all, I think you're going to win tonight with Scherzer on the hill. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you. So that, we'll that, that we'll take it. We'll see. Plus, uh, our, our, our passion and love for baseball simply means that we're old. Uh, that's number two. And, and number three, it's just fun to be outside in the summer, and uh, and baseball is a great great way to spend some time. It's awesome. It's awesome. So it's it's. I, I agree. I actually like the rules. We could we could spend uh, one of these episodes of covered calls. We'll talk about we'll talk about baseball. And we'll talk about the new rules. But I like the new rules. They're well, moving the games along. As a teaser, I'm a huge fan of the anti shift. I love it. I I feel like the pitch clock is excellent. I I almost feel though it should be three or four more seconds. Yep, I'm with you. But we can stretch that into an hour show later. Okay. I, um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the markets today because what a year 2022 has been. I mean, uh, it, and then what 2022 was and then what we're seeing here in 2023, where uh, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on the breadth of the market or perhaps the lack thereof. What do we have in store for the rest of the year? I, I think that you need to take the market in the phases that we're given. And, and uh, I probably said this on our last call, but I've said this a bunch of times on CNBC over the last 18 months. This is maybe one of the greatest trading markets we've had in, in my professional career. Um, so, uh, you know, plus or minus uh, 9% trough to peak, peak to trough, uh, 14 moves of that roughly, oddly, um, since the beginning of 2022. Uh, some 15 to 20%. And again, some of these are drawdowns. Some of these are not been easy. But, but uh, you know, as you look towards the, the, the next kind of six months of the market, uh, I think we're going to have more trading ranges. And, and I think the, the combination of Fed policy uh, coupled with uh, earnings kind of cyclicality and whatnot um, gives us a couple different more cycles to look at. I actually think that we're in a position where the market and and the breadth, and we'll talk about that also, that we've seen over the last, um, you know, call it six weeks, certainly since the bo- the SVB bottom um, is something that can continue. And, and, and it can probably continue at least until through the next Fed meeting. So um, do we have a nice month ahead of us? I actually think we do. Uh, and, and again, this is a combination of assessing 
both the you know what might be market catalysts where uh, we've seen the the fund flow activity where we've seen momentum activity where we've seen some of the investor sentiment indices um the reality is that we're not going to get a lot new out of the fed for another month the reality is we're we've got one or two inflation numbers um that could continue to be uh kind of hot and and but what's kind of amazing is that people really don't talk about that the core cpi has been very very sticky it hasn't been uh terribly uh benign and yet the market overall thinks that we're right where we want to be on inflation. So um, I, I, I think the the market in the second half of the year and maybe as soon as September is going to have some challenges. And, and I think the challenges come with just uh, where I look at Ford multiples, where I think we're going to talk about credit today. I hope we do. Um, I think there are credit dynamics out there that are, are yet to, to really bubble to the surface. I think the consumer spend, you can make an argument that the increase in, in credit card balances and, and even the, the, the balance sheet coming out of COVID had a lot to do with the consumption that we saw in 22 in the first half of 23. And, and with now over 13 trillion in household debt, over a trillion in credit card debt, student loans uh, picking up again in the fall. We have the highest uh, debt coverage ratios we've had in 17 years. It, it's hard to get really bullish about uh, about where equities are going, but but uh, I, I'm not saying I've I've been a raging bull since the October 14th CPI where markets bottomed and we're up, I don't know, 45% on the NASDAQ. But but I, I will say that I'd like to take the markets that I have in front of me. Um, I kind of both in, you know, for my my clients in, at Seymour Asset and even how uh, I think we kind of look at stocks within iDevo and some other things I'm doing. I, I It's a combination of I have a long term structural setup that I believe where where equities are going to go. Uh, I certainly care about valuations. I certainly care about some of the bottom up stuff. Um, but I, I think you also, you know, I, I always say this as an emerging markets background guy. You can't invest in a bad neighborhood. You can't invest in a good neighborhood. And sometimes that's 50 to to, to, to 75 percent of your market activity. It's the market itself. And I, I, I so I've taken a long time to tell you, I think we're going to see a little bit of a higher move here in the market. And this breadth that we've seen is is something that's real, um, even though it doesn't necessarily mean that the economy is broadening. I, I agree. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but sometimes, you know, the, the momentum can will a market higher. And, and I think we're seeing some of that happening right now. But you you mentioned credit. And this is something I wanted to learn from you and bring you on. Um, the, the, the corporate defaults have been rising. We're not hearing about that at all. But I think there were 41 in the U.S. so far this year. And and that's something we haven't seen. It's probably double what we saw last year. Should we should we start to be concerned about corporate defaults? Are we are we are we discounting this rate environment too much? Is it is it going to have an effect on earnings? Will it will it have a, a bearing on, on stock market valuations for next year? And, and I'm only bringing this up because you, you talk so eloquently about consumer debt. And when you see over a trillion dollars on a credit card, and, and knowing what those rates are right now, probably 20, 30 percent, it's it's a real number. And, and I, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on how that could affect the corporate customer. Well, I, I think there are corporates right now that are, are wounded and a lot of them are not in the public markets that we're looking at. And and so some of the pain of this will will probably trickle through to the regional banks, right? And and I think some of the corporate credit and some of the stuff that people are spending a lot of time focused on is commercial real estate, um, where, you know, that also has a feed through. 
Uh, I think the 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 interesting part about some of the the credit markets is uh, there's two really significant elements to where uh, you know the overall market is is essentially left with corporate credit. But first of all, the floating rate note market is now over a trillion dollar market. So on some level, um, that's that's been good for investors. That's been good for corporates because it's actually given an environment where corporates have been able to actually borrow even in a rising rate environment because investors feel as if there's resets that are going to help them. Um, it, it also means that that even just corporate margins. I mean, this is I, I think of corporate credit as much uh, to think about what it means in terms of the margin profile of a lot of corporates. Uh, interest expense uh, is changing dramatically as a function of you know the overall uh, income statement, and, and that's something that I think a lot of investors are, are are not really as aware of as they should be. The private credit markets, the private lender markets, the middle markets are the ones that are probably under the most pain, and the ones that probably until we really have a liquidity event, you're not going to hear a lot about. But that I, I think mark to markets in a lot of these portfolios in the private lending world are are not where they should be. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that there's some kind of a big fraud going on. I'm just saying that the reality is when you don't have a a public market or efficient market pricing mechanism, uh, it's it's tough to really know where a lot of stuff trades until someone actually needs to put the loan back at you. Um, I think if you look at high yield and you look at high yield spreads, um, right now, high yield spreads are are looking fine. Um, we're at 440 on the high yield spread over treasuries. If you look back to where we were um, during kind of the worst of SVB, yeah, things definitely were blowing out there. We were probably north of uh, north of 500, but we've come back down significantly. And and if you look at where high yield spreads were pre pre COVID pre pandemic, they they really were right here. We were around four percent. And, and I think the high yield markets are, are going to be interesting. I think the places where you're going to see some of the high yield, I mean, look, a lot of, uh, one of the things that, that's happened with a lot of the companies that are, are uh, the equity companies we do know that are trading that have had difficult times is a lot of these companies really were financed with equity, not with debt. Um, and, and so that, that's why you've seen share prices down 90% and you've got companies that, that really where the equity will become worthless. Um, I, I think credit is, is, is a very big deal. And I think credit in, in some sectors will be, uh, a bigger deal. I, I think the places where we have seen, uh, drawdowns in, in some of the most extreme moves of, of credit over the last, say, two or three credit cycles, certainly energy. Uh, is a place where you've had balance sheets that were badly beaten up. You had companies that were borrowing at all costs um, and trying to drill the next hole. Um, and in fact, I think the energy sector is very different than than it was. I think the energy yeah. sector actually looks pretty pretty good here. And yeah. and I I think it's actually a, an interesting place for investors who are investing in credit, investing in yield product, to actually move up the credit curve. Um, and I actually think some of these energy companies are a great place to be. Uh, I'm worried about credit. Uh, I'm not worried about it now. And, and I think the reality is that um, we have seen some upside surprises, both to some of the uh, recent kind of uh, e either leading indicators. They're still pointing downward. ISMs are, are you know, recessionary, both uh, manufacturing and services. But, but the, the labor markets, as we all know, are very, very resilient here. And I think until we see labor fall out of bed, credit markets are probably OK. Yeah, that's the that, that, that's the one thing kind of holding up this whole economy. But I guess the U.S. consumer always puts the economy on their backs and their shoulders. So yeah. seeing a resilient labor market gives the soft landing camp a lot of um, 
I don't want to say probability, but but it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, yeah, and that's for sure. A good thing. Now we we head into an election year next year, and you know that that always tends to have some bearing on markets. At what point do we start to factor in the candidates and and start to think about how that could help with the uh, in, investment decisions that that people should or should not make? I I you know it's we we all know. Uh, there's like there's it's like looking at a chart there's different perspectives you can draw upon election years and and what it means and when you start to measure the market during an election an election year um you know in in you know going into an election year um stocks so really where we are now between you know, the, the summer and and the end of the year actually historically have done very well and and i i think the the uh the tea leaves to read here uh, from some of the headlines of the last six to eight weeks are, I think, look, big big tech will 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 have more of a target on its back. Um, healthcare will have more of a target on its back. We're we're certainly getting the headlines over the last month about what's going on with Medicare negotiations, and and so uh, you know Merck uh, and and some of the other companies are, are actually suing the government. Um, I think the pharma sector across the board is is going to continue to be fighting fighting the regulatory headwinds and and we tend to see that often even though i think healthcare should be somewhat defensive but you know we we've, we've seen uh, a lot of the 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 kind of the the ebb and flow in some of these charts if you look at them over the last year we're kind of sideways so i i would tend to look at it more from a sector perspective um, i think it's pretty clear that there are places where big cap techs under some pressure and places where uh, you know some of the headlines on some of the biggest companies in the world may be the ones to watch, and, and and then obviously there are parts of the sector that there's the politically advantageous view where the nearshoring and and kind of bringing businesses back home. There's going to be a lot of support for uh, support of of industrial and even tech companies, and and we've heard a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, if Megatech had a five or a ten percent pullback, I I don't think anyone would be crying considering the mid big moves that they've made so far this year. So uh, if it's if it's OK, I'd like to pivot away from the U.S. Yeah. And, and, and talk a little bit about our niche, what we're working on together in the international space. Yeah. And see if we can get some of our viewers excited about iDevo. As you know, we have a predominantly financial advisor community that watches the podcast. And for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Devo and, and, and the wonderful success we've had there. In fact, I I learned recently that we won ETF of the year from another um, uh, award group. Uh, yeah, it's which awesome. Is, which is pretty cool. But iDevo is a sister product that we've launched as an international version of Devo. We're talking about that same approach, biggest, best of breed companies and, and incredible dividends with international mega cap companies and then utilizing an active covered call overlay. So the yield on this thing is through the roof because the dividends internationally tend to be a little bit higher and the call uh, activity that we're doing is presenting a little bit more volatility than what we're seeing here at home. So for those of you who haven't checked it out, it's IDVO. It's Tim and I working on this together as advisors and sub-advisors and all kinds of compliant and technical terms. But at the end of the day, best of breed blue chip internet, uh, international companies having at least 50% of their revenues outside of the U.S. or being domiciled outside of the U.S. across various countries, across various sectors, and, and very, very robust cash flow that pays monthly. How, how are you looking at the uh, the international markets as a, as a whole right now, Tim? 
Well, first of all, let me say congrats on on the award on Devo. I mean, it, it's it's uh, been an extraordinary run, and uh, um, you know, even though we talked about how much better the Phillies are doing than the Mets, uh, I will get out there and say I don't see the Phillies winning anything anytime soon. So just you know, let me get let me get a shot in while I'm delivering a comp a compliment. But uh, no, Devo deserves that. And and the, the, some more background for the advisors tuning in here. Um, Kevin and I worked together, and at least we, we've uh, worked with the same group at Amplify on respective ETF products, uh, Devo, and I, w- I have a cannabis ETF with the Amplify guys. Um, but So we've had a chance to get to know each other over the years. And, and when Kevin mentioned that he was working on an international product or really a sister product to Devo to, to really combine the same focus on, on companies with increasing cash flows and payout ratios and, and, and that type of approach to a yield product and then enhancing it with the option overlay, uh, I, you know, my background's in, in international and my background's in emerging markets and in global equity. Uh, in fact, that's kind of what got me on CNBC. And so the idea to work together on a product and frankly, um, a product that, that, that is, uh, let's stay with the baseball analogies, not trying to hit home runs, but trying to hit singles and doubles, um, is really exciting to me because I, like, I've been in, in the world of global markets where, um, it's, it's higher risk, it's higher reward. Um, there's, there's been a lot more volatility, especially in the EM world. That's not what this is. This, this is really actually finding uh, best of breed balance sheets and companies that, that uh, may have some U.S. exposure, but right, are, are really internationally focused companies. And in many cases, those are companies that you know, sit in Europe uh, and maybe they're, they're selling into Asia. Maybe their exposure might be the growth of emerging markets, um, or maybe they might be companies, you know, we have an Indian bank in the portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, last week, as Modi came to the U.S. and there was a lot of fanfare about the India relationship, the reality is uh, of the big kind of demographic stories in emerging markets, India uh, remains and, and has been one of the most exciting growth uh, markets and economies in the world. And, and so, you know, having exposure to that through iDevo, but, but finding companies that, that really are, are uh, again, pristine balance sheets and companies that are growing payout ratios, I think it's particularly exciting. So, um, and, and yeah, formally, so people know what my role is. I, I'm basically, uh, advising on an international, on, on the strategy. I'm advising on IDVO, advising on, on what this, the CTF does, um, the companies, the international landscape. And that's something that, that really I've spent a lot of my career on. So it's, it's awesome. And I, I, I think it, it's, there's been many times in the last probably five or 10 years where people said, now it's the time for international. I'm not going to tell you that now is the time for international. I'm going to tell you that the last 10 years were not the time for international. And I'm going to tell you that I do believe in long cycle mean reversion trades. And, and if you look at the underperformance of international, and I mean Europe, I mean Japan, uh, I'm not necessarily even talking about India or China. Um, some of this is a function of some things that I think um, it's going to make, it's, it's, you can make a pretty strong argument for why there is some change uh, to investing internationally. One, is that that the dollar for the first time in over 10 years, um, I think looks toppy. And the reason I think it looks toppy is that the dollar is often uh, a function of central bank differentials. And, and, and really, um, with, you know, the post, uh, kind of fallout of the great financial crisis to where the dollar kind of bottomed out in 2011, from that point, uh, and we're all aware of some of the pain that was going on in ECB land and Southern Europe, for example, the pigs and and what they've had to do. Uh, you know, the Fed really has uh, been the most hawkish central bank in the world. The Bank of Japan really is yet to acknowledge um, that there's ever been inflation. If they still believe that they're in a deflationary environment, I think they're 
slowly coming to reality there. But the reality is now, um, look, I, I think the, the dollar doesn't necessarily need to go 10% lower for international outperform. It just needs to stop going higher. And, and it has stopped going higher. And, and I think that the dollar will test 100 on the DXY. And for international investors, I just point out that um, you know, often uh, in even in developed Europe land or Japan, uh, you know, your currency return imputed back if you're, you know, if you're if you own in dollars um, and 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 yet you own stocks that uh, locally are, are are derived in local currencies, those companies become more valuable in the local currency terms. And just even in the U.S. ADR, which is what IDVO is, and all the companies are, there's no there's no local uh, stocks in there. So again, you're talking about safe, conservative uh, settlement and whatnot. I think the currency dynamics really important. I also think the the world of seven or eight stocks being the the, the dominant source of of all liquidity over the last five years or so, uh, and those are the stocks that we all know have been driving the U.S. market. Uh, look, I'm not going to tell you that they're going down tomorrow. Apple's as we speak, kind of near all time highs. Nvidia's doing what it's doing, but but I, I think the the you know 30 percent of the S and P made up of seven stocks is not something we're ever going to see again. I, I think that's right. And I think real economy stuff is going to change. So, um, you know, IDVO is is interesting because, again, I think there there is an opportunity to find companies that don't necessarily need to be, um, first of all, if you're talking about a Diageo uh, or an LVMH, you're talking about companies that actually have pricing power, um, have, have uh, this brand story even in an inflationary world. Where they've been able to pass a lot of that pricing on, and and those are aspirational brands that actually have continued to 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 really see uh, the kind of demand, especially from emerging markets. So uh, the idea is to own companies that not only have this cash flow dynamic, but also companies in many cases are either um, uh, you know consumer discretionary that's that's got a little bit of a moat around it, or uh, a lot of staples companies, or again into healthcare and pharma, Sanofi and Novartis. Um, again, some of the companies that we know how well some of the, the big pharma has done over here, I think you're going to make that same argument for international. So, um, yeah, exciting times to, and great to be to be working on this strategy, because I, I think I don't think markets are going to the moon. Um, I think you're going to need to be uh, looking for opportunities. Advisors are looking for smart ways to deliver yield to their to, to, to their investors. Obviously, it's a it's a pretty exciting time to be reaching for yield product on the fixed income side or on the credit side. Um, but I think you know what what's going on here at IDVO. That's also a real great opportunity. Yeah, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, and I think <laughs> that's how you that's how you want to look at IDVO. You don't yeah. always have to be taking a large allocation outside of the U.S. But when we do, why not own these best of breed companies that have an incredible history of distributions to shareholders? Yeah, the yield on this is incredible. You mentioned a lot of good names, and I was going to throw one or two at you and just see if you if you could give me a, you know one or one or yeah. bullet point on them, but but there are companies that are exciting to me. And I, I look at Petrobras, PBR. Right. And again, you're talking ADRs on all of these and the options that we're trading are all listed US options. So this is a this is a clean portfolio from our standpoint as management. But but give us a sentence on on PBR. Well one of the, the long term things that I've seen is a change in Petrobras from the time I, I was running a long short EM hedge fund um, and you know back in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, Petrobras at one point really had to uh, subsidize the local uh, local oil and gas markets in a way that made that business wildly unprofitable. Um, there's slowly been at least some restructuring of of that business. I think there's there's been 
definitely some significant changes in the governance profile of the company. It's a company that's also been able to pay down a lot of debt like a lot of other energy companies. So um, at one point in a rising rate environment, historically, Petrobras was, was really a scary situation. I'm not going to tell you that sometimes investing uh, with the government in Brazil isn't you know, fraught with some, some fear. Um, but but I, I, I look at the energy cycle and I look at really where I think the some of the international energy companies are right now. Um, there's not any real new supply coming online. And, and so those companies that have the kind of reserves that Petrobras has um, uh, and but but yet aren't drilling holes to nowhere um, and are really focused on a core business uh, and, uh, and are focused also on higher value added products and higher margin products. So, there, you know, there's one I, I, I think is interesting. And distribution of cash flow to shareholders consistent to what we see here in the U.S. Correct. Credible yields. Um, Coca-Cola is a name we've added recently into Devo, uh, KOF on the international Coke side. Coke Yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you look at a company that that, again, is is if you think about, first of all, the carbonated soft drink world in the U.S. is now what what kind of strange seltzers and things can we buy or vitamin waters? Uh, people still like Fanta and Coke. Uh, and Fresca uh, and and these these dinosaur sodas um, in in Latin America and and Coke FEMSA uh, much in the way Coke has restructured their business between uh, production and bottling and distribution um, again is a company that that is uniquely positioned to capitalize across uh, kind of these 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 three spectrums. Um, yeah, it's it's so true. It's been it's been a dynamite holding and and they pay special divs and and you know that's the kind of a thing that. Uh, only kind of beefs up the return profile. So, um, uh, you know, you're not you're not swinging for the fences with the Coke FEMSA, and yet you, you do have that kind of exposure to to a, a growing middle class. What, one more, because we're up against it on time, but Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, TSM, just to talk a little bit on the, the tech side of things. Well, um, l- l- they are they are probably the most important semiconductor company that's not named NVIDIA. And, and, and they are because essentially they are white labeling uh, and their foundry profile for some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, it, it's, it's also going to continue to be, uh, I think, a company that will be moving out into the higher nano kind of tech space. And in fact, really some of their, their, their nanotechnology chips are, are ones that are already uh, competing with some of the more brand name ones. Um, it's had a big run. It's had a big run with a lot of the other semiconductors. So it's it's hardly uh, a name people have said, boy, what's going on? You've done very well by investing in, in Taiwan Semi. I think you're going to continue to. I also think um, they've kind of de-risked uh, the next couple quarters. And it's really just a question of what kind of demand comes back that we start to see towards the end of the year. But um, I think there's limited downside. You know, maybe this is a company that at times has struggled with the the fear of China kind of hanging over it. If there's ever this this headline that we we all regret, we might see at one point. But again, this is a company that's so important to developed economy uh, infrastructure that I think there's a lot of insulation around it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's been a heck of a winner for IDVO. So I yeah. thought I'd be on a high note. You know, considering we started off with the Mets as low as you can go, we went right. Ahead great stock at the end and and think about how how, how awesome well i mean again you know there there are people that would make an argument that the, that the mets are not really even a developed market club right now um so um and that maybe it's time for international but uh yeah i mean one one what we've learned is uh and just as some of these companies have seen that spending as much money you can on capex and r d um doesn't necessarily lead to anything i think the mets are finding out the same thing right now 
it's a long season. We're not even at the all-star break. It's I know. Thank you for saying yeah. that. Just fun to think about where we are today and where uh, markets and our teams can end up again. We'll be talking about it uh, throughout the rest of the year, I'm sure. But Tim, thank you so much. It's it's a pleasure to work with you on a personal note. It's been so amazing getting to become a, a friend of yours over the years. But now that we've been working together on iDevo, I mean, your first class and the performance is outstanding and, and so much is attributed to your uh, to your input. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's thank you, first of all. Um, I think I... I I expect we're going to be uh, working on this project and wor working on iDevo for a long time. I think uh, much in the same way that uh, Devo just kind of you guys put your head down and built the product that that was uh, you know, smart on stock picking, smart on strategy. Um, that's a kind of an all weather uh, design for for you know good times and bad. Um, that's the approach in iDevo. So, um, you know, really excited to be working on this. And I, I do think international is fascinating. And, and, and it, it needs to be some part of the allocation. It doesn't need to be every part of it. It just needs to be something. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and with that, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it for today. And thank you for watching. Please take a look at iDevo, certainly D-I-V-O as well, and C-N-B-S for those of you who have been to New York recently, as I have. It's not just the traffic that you notice. Yeah. It is C-N-B-S <laughs> that tends to permeate some of the... Uh, Waft through the air. Yeah. Some of the air as you walk through the city. Yes. <laughs> We'll leave it there for compliance. Thanks. Thank you so much. This message does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase securities through CWP advisory services. Investments are not guaranteed and involves risk of loss. The views and opinions expressed in this message are those of investment professionals made at the time this content was recorded, are not necessarily the views and opinions of CWP, and may change in time without notification. For additional information about CWP, visit CWP's or the SEC's website for a copy of our ADV Disclosure Brochure and Form CRS.